Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest in today's episode of the podcast, baseball coach Tim Corbin. We talked over an hour, and I think you're going to love this podcast. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Injury Law, and please tell them you heard about them on the Vandy Sports Podcast. We recorded this podcast on Monday, the 19th of January. By the time you hear this on Tuesday, the SEC should have announced its baseball schedule. The Commodores are expected to open at home on February the 19th. The opponent has not been determined yet as I am doing this podcast. SEC play will open a week later on March 19th. The Commodores are going to host South Carolina again. Look for the SEC schedule to be announced on Tuesday. Available should have its schedule released sometime this week as well. Vanderbilt baseball coach Tim Corbin joins us on the podcast. Tim, thank you for joining us. And I speak for a lot of people. I'm really looking forward to having a baseball season this year. I know you are as well. Yeah, we are. Uh, The kids deserve one uh, after last year. So uh, the sooner that that we can get going, uh, the better better for them. But I, I just... In hopes that we'll complete it, I feel pretty positive about that. Not that I know any more than anyone else, but uh, just being able to, I think, have school in the fall and have what right now is a pretty good period of getting back here and getting adjusted to the the climate again is is a good start. Well, I know everything is different in our world these days for reasons we all know, but how has that affected your practice, your start dates, all those things? Well, we had a normal workout uh, set of training sessions during the fall, which was good. 
we finished in mid-October. There were periods where we would lose a guy here and there, but you know, for the most part, I, I thought it was as normal as it possibly could be. And then now um, we start school on the 25th, but our kids are already gone back here, going through testing and assessments before we we start moving around again. So a lot of the things they're doing is are on their own until we get into a period. Uh, that we can work out as a team, which is the 29th of January. But right now they're doing uh, some things on their own as well as small group work with coaches. Well, I know you well enough to know the correct answer in this is wait and see. But I got to ask, because you have, I'm sure, some opinion at this point, what's your take on the club that you've got right now? Uh, Tough to tell just because – I would say the majority of them are kids who haven't played a game in the SEC yet uh, outside of Cooper Davis, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Jason Gonzalez has, has played some. Um, and then, you know, looking at Kumar and Ethan Smith and then Hugh Fisher, then, then you're really looking at a nucleus of kids that just haven't had much experience beyond uh an early spring, which is exciting in a lot of different ways because you're you're looking forward to watching them develop. But um, it, it would really be difficult for me to to assess uh, what what type of team we're going to have. Uh, I know there's a lot of teams that are quite a bit older than us because of the retainment of of seniors and juniors. We we don't have that, but you know at the same time we've, we've got a a, a good nucleus of some younger kids, but youth, you know, in the SEC does not necessarily bode well unless they grow up really, really fast. So it, it will be interesting to see how this, this starts to play out at the beginning. I always feel like I can get a good read on your teams going to fall ball. Now, I will preface this by saying this is different, right? I was, for example, I was looking through Alabama's roster the other day and just noting how many kids they're bringing back as seniors and maybe fifth-year seniors that were playing there two years ago, which usually the cycle in college baseball is a lot of kids play some as freshmen, and then by the time they're juniors, they're big-time players. So having said that, this is a different year because you're going to run up against some teams with some more experience than normal. I will also preface this by saying that when I watched your team, you were throwing a lot of freshman arms uh, the days I saw them, but I left Hawkins Field thinking you guys could be a pretty good offensive club. You were scoring runs with home runs and doubles, but you were also doing it with speed. And I just came away thinking, you know, offensively, this strikes me as maybe a little bit better team than people have expected, maybe than I've expected. Is that a fair thing to say? It could be. I think what you're saying about a little bit of speed and, a little bit of balance is is probably true. I don't I don't see the offense as being, um, you know I I just think it has a, a a good bit of balance to it in terms of the pieces and what they can do. And I think the quicker they get into their skill sets and become themselves, then I think the better. So um, yeah, I, I would say that part is a little more balanced maybe, but. What I would compare it to, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's you, it usually takes some time before you start to understand uh, 
what that looks like. I want to get into one interesting storyline that you will have. Christian Little has reported to campus. You are expected to have him on the team this fall. I'm I'm presuming you can comment on that at this point. But tell us about getting him that recruitment because that's something I don't think you guys have done before that I remember. And second of all, I think he might be the most highly regarded player that you've ever had in terms of where the recruiting services and people ranked him. So just give us that story, if you would, please. Yeah, he's a young man that we had committed uh, leading up to his sophomore year as well, freshman year. And so he's been committed to us for a long period of time. And then getting into his junior year or before his junior year, we we spoke about the the possibility of, of coming a year early. And academically, he he fit that build. Uh, he also, from a you know a, a skill standpoint, uh, was you know at a level that we thought he could do it. I, I think the biggest piece of it, though, is the maturity part, and you, you don't know that until they start getting involved with your group. But at least from afar, there's there's comes from very good family. Uh, there's a lot of maturity and, you know, it had to be his decision. I mean, it's an, it's an opportunity, but yet at the same time, it has to be something that he wants to do because there's a lot of heavy discussions that way. You know, you're expediting your, your senior year and th- there has to be a willingness to do it. You, ha- you have to be doing it for the right reasons. Not all of them are baseball. Uh, so he, he made that decision quite a while ago. Now, in terms of getting him in, what he was he was all set to come into the fall, uh, but what he didn't, what he wasn't able to do because of the virus was, you know, complete the test scores. So it made it difficult for him to, to get in here um, in the beginning of the fall. But uh, Vanderbilt certainly uh, worked with us and worked with him and he was able to do some things that other students did as well in terms of transferring in here or getting in here in the, in the, uh, winter winter uh, semester so uh yeah i think as far as uniqueness to our roster i think the the two pieces the two pieces that we've never done before uh well we've done it before with chris harvey but christian little is one and then uh, brett hansen who uh went on a, a two-year mormon mission he's the first person that we've ever had that went on a mission first before he attended vanderbilt so Although he's a freshman, he will be a 21-year-old freshman. Yeah, let me get to Brett first, and then I'll circle back to Christian. But what's that process been like? I mean, i guess, and he's not doing long tosses uh, in the middle of his mission, those kind of things. So what do you have to do to get a kid like that acclimated back to the environment that he's about to be in? I think most importantly is his fitness level. Chris, more than anything else, is just getting – fit again not that he was out of shape because Brett's a very good athlete and he's got a good build and he's got natural strength to, to himself but it was it's just getting back into the mechanics again the long toss program um, the fitness levels that he needed to the mobility the flexibility areas that you, you as you mentioned you just couldn't cover during a course of a, a Mormon mission nor nor was that the place to do it. I mean, he, his mind was very centered on serving other people. And Brett is, uh, he's an amazing young man. He, he's very mature, obviously. Um, 
his brother Ben, who is coming here too in a couple of years, is doing the same thing. Uh, but uh, it's something that was uh, always part of his journey, and he wanted to be part of his journey. Now he's back here, and he's he's mixing in very well. He's uh, he's a good piece to our roster for sure. Back to Christian Little, for folks who don't know, this is a kid that when I looked, I believe last summer, Jonathan Mayo had an early MLB mock draft. I believe he had him number five. So this was a guy who had lots of options. Uh, that was just a weird deal, not just the early enrollee, but uh, that's a thing too. You've gotten some guys to campus that had a chance to be picked really high, but I'm not sure you've had one that high. Yeah, you know, it depends. I mean, I, I look at Kumar and Jack, obviously, and I think a lot of that, you know, the, there's two different industries. There's the, the I guess, the, the one side, the ranking piece is, is, a, is a group of people, and then you have the professional industry that's evaluating them. And I don't know. I mean, they match up at, at some point in time, but the thing about the professional industry is, if they just find that a player is is not going to be signable and is going to go through the college process, then they kind of wean themselves off of that person in some ways from a, an evaluation standpoint. Where I, you know, we've had we've had several of those kids. Kumar, as I said, Jack Leiter, Jordan Sheffield at the time before he got hurt was someone who who fit in that top ten bubble of players. So we've. Uh, you know, we've occasionally had had that type of player, and, and Christian was seen in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess at this point we're arguing semantics because you like Kumar would be one. Right. Kumar was in about that stratosphere the year before his senior year started too, which would be an apples to apples comparison for Christian Little. Yeah, it, it, the, those are those decisions are, are they're not easy. They 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 have very upfront discussions. So uh, that. Those types of kids are, are are making decisions to to be in school or not be in school, and uh, we've been fortunate to 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 grab a couple of them. We have tons of questions from fans. With that, I will get into our mailbag that is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Josh can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about him here. Dan B. Nash says, how is the health of the guys who weren't on the field for fall training. Yeah, well, the, uh, everyone is in pretty good shape right now. Uh, a couple of those pitchers, it was more, uh, they had pitched during the course of the summer, so we held them back. But uh, the guys who weren't out there a great deal during the course of, of the fall, uh, Thomas Schultz, he's fine. Mikey Doolin, fine. Sam Lavoki, uh, fine. I'm um, trying to think of others who, who might have started slow, but those three guys in particular who pitched for us last year were, were kids who didn't pitch in the fall, but are, are certainly right in the mix now and they're, they're training for the spring. Um, and outside of that, the only other person that was doing a little bit of pitching, but he, he certainly isn't now is Spencer Jones. And 
hopefully he'll start swinging the bat again uh, the 1st of February, and we'll try to get him going and, and ready by the March period. Yeah, with Spencer, just I'm 99% sure I know this. Pitching is out of the question this year, right? Completely. Yes, that's right. Hitting, though, or well, I guess hitting wouldn't be out of the question, but in, in terms of being in the field, is he DH only, or are there things that he could do for you in the field, say, at first base? Uh, I think that would probably be more towards the middle to the tail end of, of the season. Maybe that April, May period, we'll just have to see. He's going to go through a throwing program that's very progressional, so we'll work through that. Um, and if he can, uh, there's potential of that uh, happening towards the, the end of the season. But uh, I don't think the March the March month is in play, and April may not be in play either. But I, I think Spencer is just trying to eye him, himself into swinging the bat again. And very good athlete. I, I think if Vanderbilt fans who had, who had followed us um, if you continue, if we continued to play out our season last year, I think they would have seen more of him because he certainly was a kid that can do a lot of different things. He can, he can swing, swing the bat, runs well. He's a good athlete, so a uh, good baseball player. He is a a tough one for me to get my arms around because I've not seen him play enough, and he's so unusual. The two way thing. He's six foot seven. He can really run. Give us someone that he compares to in terms of, of talent, ability, style, those sorts of things? Well, that's why you can't get your arms around him because he's six foot seven. So I think the size <laughs> piece is uh, that in itself is someone we, we haven't really had. That's a, that's a good question, Chris. I don't know if there's, I, I don't know if there's anyone really that, you know, has had that, you, you know, usually, I remember Rocco Baldelli when he played, you know, he's a kid from Rhode Island and he was probably about six, five, six, six. And he ran, he ran the same speed in the 60 yard dash as his height, you know, as a six foot five kid who ran a six, five. And, and you, you don't really see too much of that. And Spencer's that type of kid that he's, he's long, uh, he's strong and he can run and he moves well. He's, he's very agile for a kid that's six, seven. So we, I don't, I don't remember a player that we've had. And I don't the, the only kid that, that comes close to him is a kid we had at Clemson who was a first rounder named David Miller. And David came in a little bit like Spencer as a pitcher, but then he became a, a first baseman and center fielder. And he was a first rounder of the Cleveland Indians. I would say that those two guys are, are favorable in terms of size, speed, agility, and ability to swing the bat. This may be a really unfair question to ask, given the two elbow issues he's had, but do you get the sense that the scouting industry likes him better as a pitcher or a hitter? Well, I think it's going to be easy for them, easier to, for them to see him as an offensive player right now and a defensive player, too. Um, he has spent two summers for that Santa Barbara organization which is a very good amateur summer team and he's played well and I, I do I do think that guys who have evaluated him have been able to see that part of him but you know as a high school kid uh, before he broke his arm in high school he uh, he had a you know he had a good arm good breaking ball and he was throwing the ball in the you know upper 80s low 90s so 
I think from that standpoint with the athleticism, the arm, uh, the energy to the ball, people thought that there was something there, but I, I would say if I had to make a quick guess, I, I, I would say this guy has an opportunity to play every day at some point in time once he's healthy. Okay. I know the real answer to this is there's a month left, but people want to know. So Big Hatchy asks, mm-hmm. uh, you have a five-game week with an SEC series starting this weekend. If that happened next week, who would be the starting pitchers, middle relievers, and closers, particularly on the weekend series? <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you'd love that, you right? You're going to get that in. You yeah, bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm not trying to side straddle that question. It's just it, we just got done October 18th, so it's been you know so long ago since we finished. And three of those names that I mentioned that are pitching again weren't in that mix. So I, I just think from a starter standpoint, yeah, you obviously have to look at Kumar and Jack as, as being in that mix. And, you know, then Ethan Smith and Thomas Schultz and Sam Laboki and Mikey Doolin and freshman named Patrick Riley, uh, you know, they, they have potential to, to start. And I, I know Brownie will bring Christian Little along as a starter. And then Chris McElvain, too. Uh, I think those are now that's, you know, that's nine guys. Nine guys can't start. You, know, you just don't have that many spots maybe at the beginning because you might have to uh, uh, start two guys I guess or go into a ball game uh, without the the volume and and use two guys but I I would say that's probably where we're at and then in the middle it's a it's a nucleus of guys Luke Murphy certainly threw well in the fall Uh, Nick Maldonado uh, threw in, in middle relief in the fall Hugh Fisher we're getting him back. He's looked pretty good. Uh, freshman named Nelson Berkwich, freshman from uh, Florida, uh, pitched pretty well, especially towards the tail end. And then you've got a nucleus of kids that were just developing as the fall finished. A guy named Grayson Moore, who's a switch hitter as well, but he's uh, he's got a chance for for a good arm. Miles Garrett, uh, who uh, smaller in stature. I would say the the quick comparison would be like a, a Marcus Stroman, uh, similar in terms of the attack. Hunter Owen, big left-handed pitcher from Maine, started to really come on and towards the end of the fall. Gage Bradley, who is from Clarksville, that very good arm. Uh, Ryan Stefuk, left-handed pitcher from Wisconsin, uh, pitched well. Brett Hansen didn't pitch during the course of the fall, so. He, like Laboki and, and Schultz and, and Doolin, will, uh, will start to pitch more. And then Donye Evans, who is from Georgia, who uh, yeah, he had some, some pretty good glimpses of uh, throwing the ball well. He, he's also in that mix. So, you know, we've got 20 guys right now. Uh, that'll have to be whittled down at some point. Um, but we're kind of in a year where the the number of pitches pitchers is probably advantageous to the roster not knowing um, what's going to happen and not not knowing what the health of your team might be all right this is part two of the I know what you're going to say but a guy's got to try uh from door fan which freshman is most ready to contribute this season maybe a position player and a pitcher well the freshman that Pretty well. I, I would back Bulger, who's a catcher, but a 
Sue, he's good. Enrique Bradfield, from a defensive standpoint, uh, played pretty well. You know, I think those two kids have a chance to play at some point in time, whether it's right away, I'm not sure about that. Uh, the other person, and he's, yeah, he's a freshman eligibility, but he was with us last year. He didn't get to play as Max Romero. I think he's someone that uh, could find his way into a lineup at some point in time. He's a catcher and a uh, very strong left-handed hitter. Uh, from a freshman standpoint on the mound, Patrick Riley was the one kid that stood out at certain times. Thompson Berkwich did at certain times. I think those two kids probably are, are – are the guys that are probably closer to potentially doing that. Berkwich just looked really hard to pick up when I sat in the stands and watched. Got a little Phil Pfeiffer to him. He kind of jumped at you, and it's, uh, you know, he's got a, a good arm path, but there's a little bit of deception to it. And as you mentioned, it's it's a delivery that is is not what you see every day. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely some deception to what he does. Dorfan wants to know what returning player has made the biggest leap on field from last season or a quarter season or whatever we're going to call that. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to put Tate Colwick in that group. Tate and had a good fall. He's getting stronger. Maturity is, you know, he was a mature kid when he came here, but maturity from a playing standpoint, Chris, is probably, you know, it's just better. It's, you know, there's 12 months of a difference in that kid. I would say the same for Dominic Keegan and then Isaiah Thomas. I think Isaiah and Dom and Tate were on the national championship team, but yet, they were very patient souls. They were behind the kids that were playing. We had an older team. So I just thought they did a really good job of adapting and handling themselves in, in that climate, then inserting themselves this year. Isaiah certainly has grown a lot as a player. Um, Dominic has grown as a player. Tate has certainly done that too. Uh, But, you know, you're leaving out other kids that, you know, Cooper Davis is one of those kids that, is a good player and the only reason he wasn't part of that run towards the end of the national championship year was just because he was hurt. Uh, but he, he's a, he's a good player. Um, and I, I know Vanderbilt people kind of know him. And outside of that, I, I would say of the older kids, Matt Hogan has certainly improved and he's got a lot of great tools. So you know, it's possible that, that he could insert himself at some point in time and, now getting Jason Gonzalez back. I'm interested to see how Jason's going to do as a senior. Tate hit the ball so well in the fall series. I just kept thinking, okay, I don't know where he plays because obviously he came in a shortstop by trade. You've got your guy there, I would think. Your outfield's a little bit crowded. He can play there. But I kept thinking, this kid is hitting so well, I have a feeling he's going to find his way in there somewhere uh, is that a fair way to look at it? And if so, or, or do you have a spot where you're like looking to slot him to play or, or feel like he might fit right now? Well, I think second base and third base are the two spots. He played a lot of second base during the fall. And then when we got towards the end, when you were watching us play, we, uh, we separated he and, and 
Carter at shortstop, which I thought was great for both those kids. And, you know, if something never happens to Carter, then we, we need someone who can fill in there. And, and Tate certainly did that. But I, I don't know with Tate, he's, I think he, I think he plays a good second base, but if you watch him at third base too, he's got great reactions. The thing about that kid is, you know, he's played a lot of football in his life. You're talking about a kid that passed for over 10,000 yards in his high school career. He's always played on Friday night. He's played in front of big crowds. He's got some savvy to him. And I just really like his energy. He's such a positive kid. So he's going to, he's going to be on the field uh, somewhere in, in that infield. I think, we were trying to get his at bats last year, uh, and and we felt like we could serve him better by by getting him into the outfield. But this year, he he serves us better, and he serves himself by getting back into the infield. Baseball Bros asks: With Rocker and Lighter both projected to be top five to ten picks in the upcoming draft. At the front of your rotation, have you ever had a rotation from top to bottom that is this deep and talented? Uh, I want to hear how you answer this, but I left the fall thinking, A, I think the premise of that question is right, and B, I think just in terms of arms you have, you can pitch. At this stage, to me, this seems like the best bunch you've had. I know you don't want to anoint your kids uh, before they do it, but that was my impression walking away from the series. Well, I think the – the 11 staff because of the age, Chris was, that was really good. That that was a, and because they've done it, it's, it's easy to talk about them. But when you're rolling out Sonny Gray and then Grayson Garvin, you're, you know, you've got two first rounders right there. And then you've got a four year senior on the tail end of a weekend that, that, and that would be no fun for uh, an opposing team because they're very seasoned. You had, three you know two juniors and and Grayson and and Sonny and then you had Taylor Hill and then the middle part to the closers were all juniors and seniors so I really like the experience and the talent level of that particular staff what this staff doesn't have is is that experience they they just don't you know when you look at Kumar and as being he and Smitty and Hugh being the older kids on your staff. And then Luke Murphy, who had to medical redshirt that one year, you just don't have a lot of age. And that, that does matter. It it does matter. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that, okay, if you got younger kids, they, they can't outperform the opposition, but it's, it's just different. It's, it's how quickly they stay on balance because it's, it's more, you get into those situations, it's containing adrenaline and, and, being able to being able to pitch through trouble because that's that's what you're going to do. Everything's not going to go well. It's just not, and it's the kids that really have the bounce back ability. And I just, I just couldn't even tell you that. You know, I I I, I think Jack is Jack certainly a he's a mature kid for his age. Uh, he's very professional in how he goes about doing everything. Academically, he's one of our best students. You. You get him into a training session, and he, he's he's as good as it gets. But the thing that Jack hasn't done is he hasn't thrown the first pitch in an SEC ball game yet. And what that looks like, I, I don't know. You know, he faced Michigan in the fall, but in terms of other teams that are going to know who you are and going to have an attack for you, 
that that's different. So I, I you know, proof is going to be in the pudding. It's how they line themselves up once we get going in March and in April and May against that type of uh, competition. All right, I love this question from Bighorn Sheep. What was it like watching Kumar Rocker's no-hitter against Duke? Did you get to enjoy it at all and realize what was going on? Or with being coached, could you not even think about that until it was over and you had time to reflect? Well, certainly had time to reflect on it. And it was, you know, it's one of the most satisfying games you've ever been a part of as a as a teammate or as a, as a coach in in my place. But I I think going through it, what I remember most about it, because the no hitter certainly wasn't a thing in my mind until we got deep into the ball game. What was a thing in my mind, Chris, was how many runs were being stolen by the Duke defense. And we were hitting some balls hard, but that guy on the other side was as good as they get. You know, we, Bryce Jarvis was a, a Nashville native, and I, I thought it was, uh, you know, and going to Duke, that was that was great for Bryce in so many different ways because he, you know, he he had to do things on his own uh, leaving this area. But that game, that was just two boxers going back and forth. But once Kumar started to get into that sixth and seventh inning, very unusual game for a young kid who's thrust into that environment, who's protecting an opportunity to go to the college world series, who's protecting the, the, uh, the offense by just holding the other team down until we can start to scratch a few runs, which he did. I, I just thought it was, I thought it was tremendous. One of the best things I've ever seen. And, uh, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the feeling. And, I, you know, I felt very, you know, even though we had lost Friday night and, you know, I realized we all realized what that score looked like. Think about that from Kumar's standpoint too, Chris, because he, he's sitting in that dugout watching that and he, he has to respond to it and, and do the best job he can. And he did. So, um, you know, good for him. Uh, that's in the past, but I'm, I'm sure that he gained a lot of experience from doing that and, Certainly one of the best competitive moments I've seen here at Vanderbilt. Yeah, that night is one I'll never forget. I mean, you had the night before, so you're playing with your back against the wall, which really hadn't been the case all season, Uh, not anything like that. I mean, you guys are the the dominant team in the country, either you or UCLA, and then sometimes you get a punch like that the night before that nobody knows what to do with, and I think we all walked out of the ballpark going – you know, okay, in baseball, anything can happen, but taking one like that was, okay, that that makes it interesting, right? And then, like you said early in the game, for people that don't know, Bryce Jarvis was a first-round pick by Arizona last summer. Now, I think he added some stuff to his arsenal that we didn't see that night, but I remember, goodness, I wish I could remember who it was. I think it was either Kyle Peterson or Ben McDonald who was sitting next to me in the press box and I, I think it was Peterson, maybe, and, and just kept remarking about how good that changeup was. So you have that night before, and then you have that layer of a kid who's going to be a first-rounder, whose dad played the majors, who's coming into his own, has got this pitch working for him. I mean, that was just a crazy, memorable night 
uh, outside of Kumar's no-hitter, you had all those things that were going into the game uh, beyond that that just made it just a, an unforgettable night of baseball. You're, you're right, and we got buckled. I mean, that, that was a punch that, you know, on Friday night that kind of brought you to your knees, but I guess that's my point about having an older team, too, because those are the – anytime you've got inexperience, that's your concern. Your, your concern is whether or not your kids – can mentally work through those moments like we did against Ole Miss in the SEC tournament. You know, had we not done that in the tournament, do we beat Duke on Saturday? You know, it's almost like you have to have those experiences to get to, to understand how you can get through those things. And, you know, beating Ole Miss in the, in the way that we did and the comeback, I'm sure it happened, you know, helped us for Duke. Uh, beating Duke in that second game. I'm sure it helped us beat Michigan in that game that Kumar pitched the second time around. So I I just think those experiences really help players who have been in the league for three and four years. And um, again, we we don't have those. Does it mean we we can't do those things? No, I I, I think that's, that's the piece that's, it's a little bit of a mystery to everyone. Joseph Wheeler wants to know who your big power bat is and who will hit leadoff. Oh boy! I, uh, you know, from a power bat, we, we've got some kids with strength, and what what that looks like, I, I'm not sure. I mean, Dominic Keegan's got some strength. Uh, Jason Gonzalez has some strength. Tate has some strength, um, and Isaiah certainly uh, has some strength and. Uh, I would say Max Romero is is capable of, of that too. Uh, so now whether that shows up in numbers and shows up in runs, uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, as far as speed is concerned, lead up. Well, I say lead up speed, but lead off hitter. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just have to would would quickly side with Cooper Davis in in that situation just because he's done it before. Yeah, I mean, Cooper's got, what, a 430 career on base mark? I mean, that's a pretty good place to start, a, a kid who's that and a senior. Yeah, yeah, and he, yeah, and a senior. You're right, and he knows himself. So, yeah, he's uh, he, he's been a, a good player inside this program for sure. Scott Reed wants to know if fans will be allowed at Hawkins Field this year. I I, I believe at some point in time they will. I, I think at the beginning, I think everyone's going to kind of watch uh, what happens, but I, I do think once we start to settle in and now that this is just me, I, I haven't spoken to anyone. I haven't spoken to Candace. I haven't spoken to university. They could say, you're not going to have fans in, but I just got to believe at some point in time, we'll, we'll have some fans. I, I, I think this, there'll be more positivity once uh, we get through flu season. And once the seat, the weather starts to get better, I, I, I do feel confident about that. Theodore wants to know about restrictions on players in terms of COVID and testing and all that, and what your message is to the team during all this. Well, it's just being smart. We we talk about it every day. It's we we want our goal in the fall, Chris, was just to stay healthy enough to where we could keep the fall going. I think what you don't want is to get yourself in a situation where you lose 10, 15 guys when you get three weeks into fall, then, then your fall is just disrupted big time. So we created a pretty good harmony. Now there were 
some close contacts during the fall, which sometimes is unavoidable. But the thing that we did go through towards the tail end of the fall after we were done with training was we, we did have a, a group of kids uh, get the virus and staff too. So a lot of us have gone through it, which in some ways is a positive. Uh, but yet what that what that looks like when we get into the spring, we're just going to have to be very vigilant on what we're, we're doing. I mean, we've uh, the I'm not going to complain at all because you know what football looked like. I mean, college football for those coaches, God love them. I mean, what they had to go through and how they had to do it. So we're not at that level. I'm not saying we won't be at that level. I hope we're not. But I, I just think the organization of what you're doing is it just has to be precise. I mean, you just can't have a lot of people in the locker room at the same time. Um, yeah, it, how you position players and so on and how, how you can talk with them is different. So it, it's just been a lot more organization than years past. VandyFan96 wants to know what you have learned about marketing Vanderbilt athletics and baseball, especially in the last few years where social media and digital marketing have been so important? Yes, uh, that that certainly has helped Vanderbilt and our baseball program. It's grown. Um, when I look at marketing our program, I point right to Brooks Webb because Brooks is he's our operations person, and but he's so much more. I mean, he's, you know, we, we haven't had, He's just tremendously skilled in so many different areas, but Brooks has taken upon himself to stay very competitive in that field, whether it's Instagram or um, Twitter, um, now Facebook. Uh, we we just have, you know, we've we've grown the the Vanderbilt baseball brand in in those in those buckets, and uh, I'm not on there a lot. Um, I, I guess I'm deliberate and how I use Twitter. And I think the kids are, are, are pretty good that way too. Um, but uh, in, in terms of how it's helped our program, I, I think we've gained great notoriety for the right reasons. I mean, you know, I, I have certain feelings about that, but I, I just feel like we've, we've handled ourselves in a professional manner from a social media standpoint. And uh, as long as it's going to help the kids and help our program, then Um, and done in a classy way, then uh, I'm certainly for it. Okay, this is a multi-layered question here from J2M. What was it first like when you arrived on campus not having any real expectations? And what is more difficult, building a great legacy or maintaining one? I think they're they're very they're all the same because the energy is just different. At the beginning, you're trying to you're you're trying to blend your personality into a new group of kids. You you have standards and and values that you need to uphold every day, and you you just can never never take your eyes off the road. It's it's something that you really have to hone in on. And uh, you know Clark is is about to go through that. That's a that's a transition that. It, it tests your patience. It, it's very difficult. There'll be days where you think, okay, we're moving in the right direction. Then there'll be days where you say, we're not moving in the right direction at all. But that's just the part of, of 
starting a, and building a program. Then as you get going and you start building, you start to gain some momentum because of the players that have started to conform into your program. And that takes years. It takes five and six and, you know, in our case, 10, 11, 12 years. And then there's a piece where if you're fortunate enough, like Vanderbilt is, to have players come back and coach and you've had longevity in essential positions, pitching, Scott Brown, uh, strength training, Chris Ham, then you can start to really gain some consistency. And uh, having Mike Baxter and David Macias is like a dad that is operating with his own sons. But what it does is it, it, it brings such great harmony to the program, continuity. There's a lot of levels of discussion that I don't have to have with them because they're smart enough that they picked up on it as players. And once they got a couple years under their belt, they just, there's just so many things that years ago that I would, we would have to spend a lot of time on that now we don't. But at the same time, you're still riding alongside the program. You're still, you still have to bring your energy. You um, mentally can't remove yourself from any event that takes place. But at the same time, you've empowered more people to do the things that they can do because they've earned the right to do that. They've earned your trust. And I, I've enjoyed that part of it, too. But it's not like you can ever sit in a chair and throw your feet up on a desk. I, I've, I've, I've felt like a, in 19 years, Chris, I feel like a guy who's in a two legged chair. You know, it's, it could either fall all the way over or it could it could land on four legs. Uh, but it's a balancing act. That's that's really what it is. What's been the harder accomplishment from where you were when you took over? Because you've won two national titles, almost won a third, and that's really impressive in the conference titles and all that. But the thing that I think gets underrated is you have been to the NCAA tournament now whatever year since 06, and I think that's the second longest streak behind Florida State. In your mind, from where you started, which is the tougher accomplishment to pull off? Consistency, without question. If if you can look at a program and and you can see that, listen, winning national championship is far out. That doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen. The fact that Vanderbilt was fortunate enough to be in three of those games and then win them twice. I mean, th- those things don't happen. I mean, you, you, we all know that, you know, what doesn't matter what sport you're playing in, but I think the thing that, that has, that I feel most proud about is the consistency of the program and where it, where it is every year. And in fact, that you can look up and we're in the middle of something and that, that is that that takes a lot of investment that takes a lot of mental energy that takes a lot of stamina from a lot of different people that's that's not me that's a lot of different people and it's a lot of different families and you can the wives of of this staff are just as important as the staff members themselves because they they give their husbands the freedom to do the things that they need to do with someone else's children and that just takes a lot of time but I just would say that, Chris. I think that's the part that is very difficult, and um, that I 
that I think I'm proud proudest of is just the ability to have a program that is always in the middle of something towards the end. And uh, I feel good about that. Raiders 1967 wants to know the most significant changes in recruiting since you began at Vanderbilt. Uh, the decision-making of the players uh, you know, in their eighth and ninth and tenth grade years, I think that's the most significant change in the last 10 years. And, um, hey, listen, we're part of that. You know, we've that's happened, you know, at Vanderbilt too. So we, we can't sit here and say, you know, we're holier than thou. But at the same time, I, what we've tried to do is we've intentionally, and the virus had something to do with this too, is you just couldn't go out and see people. So we just need to slow down um, because you can build rosters that are so big every year that you know that you can't satisfy every playing participant that comes in. So we're just trying to be a little bit more intentional in our conversations. Mike Baxter does as good a job as anyone, you know, in terms of assessing the players and really getting in good discussions that are way more than surface level discussions. So you can start to understand the fibers of the young man. Brownie does a great job of that. David Macias too. And, you know, I, I, I do I do what they want me to do, but, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the recruiting part of it. But as we've gone on, we've, we've tried to slow that down a little bit and, and be more intentional in what we're doing. Vandy Nash wants to know how much emphasis do you put on mental makeup in recruiting and how do you go about evaluating that in a high school player? He clarifies by that he means work ethic, competitiveness, attitude, love for the sport, handling adversity and ability to work well within a team. Discussions with the individual, are, that's first. Uh, and then as you're researching the player, it's, uh, it's trying to find people that you really, really trust that will, will give you that type of information and asking them the right questions and, and, and not, not getting back in return, well, he's a great kid being a great kid really doesn't do anything. I mean, our, we, we have great kids that we know that, but that, that doesn't really tell you the mindset of a player that can do what we did against Duke in that second game of a super regional or do what we did against in the SEC tournament. I mean, there's a mental makeup of Steven Scott. That's different. There's a mental makeup of Ethan Paul. That's, different. Austin Martin is wired differently. And I, I think that's what you, you get with these kids, certain kids, when you feel like you've gone through the evaluation process in a way that you've discovered the things that you need to discover that, that you deem necessary and important. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that our gift is the university itself, because the university itself, we don't we don't attract a lot of immature kids. We don't, we just don't get that kid that is now I'm not going to say our kids won't make mistakes, but at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't find our, ourselves sleeping with one eye open. We, you know, we, we feel like our kids are going to make good decisions. And when they don't, the, the, the bad decisions they make aren't ones that they're going to be embarrassed about 10 years from now. And I think, you know, that knock on wood, because I know that can happen to anyone. But 
I, I think they know how to organize their mind. And because they know how to organize their mind, they stay between the white lines uh, a little bit more. And, you know, I've always enjoyed working with that kid, Chris. I, you know, even at Clemson, Clemson was a pretty good school. We got that type of kid there when I was at Presbyterian, small private school. When I was at Wofford, small private school. You, you run into that type of kid and you start to understand that, yeah, those are the types of kids you want to be around. It's it's the kids who you, you you can have good discussions with outside of the grip of a baseball or, you know, a swing. You can have discussions about other things um, like we did today. So that, that that's that's important. Vandy always wants to know if Pedro Alvarez is helping out with the team in any way now that he's retired from baseball. He's not helping out with a team, but he's in town here. He just had another child. Um, we talked to Pedro on occasion. Boy, I'd, lo- I'd love to have him around. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, maybe we will at some point in time. He's talked about going back to school again and finishing his degree. So we'll we'll see what happens. But he's a very talented kid, both mentally and physically. Uh, but he's here, and we're glad he's in town, he and his wife, Kelly. 81J wants to know your future facility needs. I would just say modifying the stadium itself. I I think we're probably a little bit antiquated from a stadium standpoint. We've spent a tremendous amount of time and resources on getting the the framework of the home right from an internal standpoint for the players themselves. Uh, we've always done that because we felt like the development piece is, is most important. As we move forward, uh, we would really like to uh, modify our stadium so that uh, we can someday uh, have some very intentional seating. I, I don't look at our stadium and say we need to make it bigger. I, I don't feel that way at all. I feel like we're unique, and I think our, our stadium and my point of my way of thinking wants to be unique too. It doesn't want to look like everyone else's. Uh, I, I have no interest in our stadium looking like anyone else's. I look at ours more like a, a Cameron indoor and in basketball or something to that effect. If you look at, you know, our basketball arena is different. And I, you know, I think with, with Clark and his football program, they're, they're certainly going to modify that situation in time. So hopefully we can be part of that. Bighorn Sheep wants to know your philosophy on multiple sports for teenagers. Love it. My gosh, Chris. I mean, I I just think that you think about some of the best players we've ever had here, whether it's Sonny, whether it's Dansby, whether it's David Price, you know, Mikey Miner, those kids just played a lot of different sports. I, I, you know, I'll put it this way and and just simply, I I think when you play another sport, there's so many other skills that you learn that will transition into the game of baseball. Certainly more is not better when it comes to baseball, because there's certain times of the year where, and I'm not saying it's bad if that's the only thing that you play. Well, that's fine. You, You certainly can occupy your time playing one sport, but I also feel that playing other sports gives an, it gives a young man uh, an opportunity to decompress. And I think the decompress piece is just is might be as important as anything in terms of improvement, because a, a lot of times when we're doing something over and over and over again, we might not necessarily be tapping into the quality of what we're doing 
if we take a break, if we, if we don't take a break, if we did take a break from it, if we did take a break from it, it sometimes it, it allows us to re-energize our brain to where we can be present when we are doing it again, fully present. Joe King wants to know if you have any books or resources you would recommend for a little league coach for 10 year olds, especially on how to run practices. And he wants to know what defensive drills and areas you would focus on most. Well, I, I think certainly ball handling drills are the most important thing for anyone. Um, I didn't know what a PO was, Chris, like five, six years ago. I, I embarrassingly asked the question, what is a PO? And someone said, it's a pitcher only. And I said, good God, I had no idea what a pitcher only was. My only advice for a coach is let your players play numerous positions. I, I think as a young person getting involved in the game of baseball, think of yourself as a baseball player because there's so many angles. There's so many different positions that if allowed to play at a young age, there's, there's a lot of acumen that can develop by doing that. Um, so I, I think that's most important, but a good throwing program, really teaching them to take care of the ball, how to catch the ball, how to catch the ball with two hands, really being able to focus in on when you're playing catch with someone, being able to tell a young kid, hey, when you're playing catch with Tim Corbin, I want you to hit him in the chest every single time, being very intentional about what you're trying to do with the ball. Because the more you focus on catching the ball off your index finger of your glove, and the more you focus in on really throwing the ball at a target, uh, at a bullseye, on a on a on a uh, a teammate's body, I think you know the the more the the better you get, the more in tune with the event you, you become, or the better you become. Uh, as far as books are concerned, yeah, I, just, I would just watch practice. I, I would watch practice of college teams, good high school programs where you know the coach is very organized in what he's doing and how he's handling his team. But I, I think that's the book of knowledge that I would want. And that's where I gained the most experience myself as a young coach. And you know, I, I really would watch a lot of practices, not just baseball either. I thought what helped me more than anything was just organizing my, my mindset on training through watching football and being a part of football. I, I think that really, really helped me as I look back at, where we are and how we run our training events. Football had something to do with that. HMHS wants to know who your favorite player was growing up and if you've ever coached anybody at Vanderbilt that reminded you of that player. Uh, I'd say Roberto Clemente and Carl Yastrzemski. And, yeah, I loved Rose. I mean, I, do, I did love Pete Rose. I, I don't necessarily like what he did away from the diamond, but it, you, 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 I certainly loved the effort and he was a self-made guy and certainly a good hitter. Um, I loved Yaz so much and all you have to do is look no further than his grandson. I think Mike is, I'm so, we're all so proud of Mike and how he has approached the major league game and what he's doing right now. And um, when, when people talk about him, they, they talk in such great tones about his maturity, his approach, his respect for the game, his respect for other people. He, he is such a good representative of his 
his mom and his dad who passed away and certainly Carl too. He picked up a lot from watching Carl and talking with Carl. So uh, Mike is, is certainly that, that, that kid that reminds me of, of, uh, uh, of his granddad, uh, a Pete Rose in our game. I'm sure we've had someone like him, uh, but I, I can't, I can't think offhand and, you know, I, you know, Roberto Clemente, not that Isaiah Thomas is that type of guy or not. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I we'll, we'll see, but I, I think there's some similarities with, you know, that, that guy who can drive the baseball and run and Isaiah has, he does a lot of those things. And Isaiah is really growing inside of this game. It's been, it's just been fun to watch that young man mature, but I, you know, I loved Clemente and what he could do. I just think he could do everything well. He's such a good baseball player. You know, Pete Rose is a almost impossible comp, but Austin Martin right. had some of that—the competitiveness, the playing a lot of positions. It wasn't a switch hitter, but maybe that's as close as I can get. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's you know, I know they're body body wise, they're not the same. But I, yeah, I would say that they're mind alert, just alert. Pete Rose was so alert, you know, he just alert and. It, he never took a pitch off. I mean, he, he, he takes a, I mean, he takes a fastball, and you know, he's staring at the umpire. The eyes go all the way back to the umpire. Um, <clears throat> catcher goes over to catch a pop up, and he's running over there with him. Pops out of catcher's catcher's glove. He catches the ball. I mean, it's he's like Johnny on the spot. He just had a style about him that was so different. Uh, watching him play on that turf and watching him catch a ball and then bounce it on the turf when he was done. I, I just thought it's just an incredible talent, but um, you know, I, I, he, if Pete Rose is playing in a perfect game showcase, I would tell you that after day one, I would say every coach that's evaluating would probably mark him off their list as someone that they're no longer going to look at. You know, he doesn't measure up from throwing the ball in a, arm test environment or run a 60 yard dash or driving the ball over the fence. But you know what? You, you watch that guy play in a week and you go, you take that guy every day and why? Cause he's a winning player. That's Austin Martin. Austin Martin is, he's one of the best baseball players we've ever had at Vanderbilt. But yet if you put him in a showcase and you asked him to run, you asked him to throw, there's going to be guys that there's going to be guys that, probably can do those skills better than he can. But I'll tell you what, many people can play the game of baseball better than he can. I, I know that for certain. Would Austin Martin have run over a catcher in an all-star game? Yeah. Uh, if it meant win in the game, no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. No hey, yeah. what are two quick questions? Uh, and, and then I'll let you go. I do want to ask you, how did you handle the Carl Yastrzemski piece? with Mike because obviously everybody knows who his grandfather is. It's sort of like the elephant in, his, in the room, but nobody wants to be, I guess, saddled with that expectation. You throw in the dynamic of his father having passed, I guess, when Mike right. was young. How did you go about all that? Uh, it was pretty easy, actually, and Carl made it that way. He was he he, he released the experience to, to Mike. He, he really did. He, he let Mike have his own experience here. Uh, Carl didn't come down that much. And I think that was very intentional and it was not because he didn't want to. 
he followed Mike all the time. Now his uncle Richard was here all the time and I really enjoyed him. He became very close with my dad actually, but you know, Carl and I had conversations at Mike's wedding. We had a great conversation. I just thought Carl, Carl was a grandfather that just let Mike figure it out himself, but was always someone who was very available to Mike, whether it was on the phone or certainly when he went home. But I just thought he handled that beautifully. And it's that, for, I, you know, I don't know how Mike, you know, with his uncle Richard and, and Carl, how he saw them in his life. He, he just, Mike's so respectful that I just think he had, you know, two great male mentors right there that he uh, he was able to lean on at certain points in time. But Mike was going to carve out his own path now. Mike was a very mature kid even when he got here. And I think that maturity was in place long before he came to Vanderbilt. Okay, I've got several questions on Vanderbilt's football hire of Clark Lee. I'm just going to condense them into one or two topics. Obviously, Clark is a guy that you know well, have known well, you have a very high opinion of, I think Mm -hmm. did or would have recommended for the job if you were asked. So I just want you to talk about that. And, of course, Casey Stangle was – one of your right-hand people, she has been passed over to the football program. No, you have a high opinion of her as well. So let's just close with you talking about those topics. Well, I'll take Casey first because, uh, you know, our daughter just got married this weekend and Casey and Jordan, her husband, or yeah, her, her husband was there and Casey just got married uh, in, in November and that was a fun wedding. But Maggie and I love Casey because she's almost like another daughter. I mean, she, yeah, she worked with us and she's incredible. She, and I, I say, I don't, that's not understating her either. I, I, she's respectful. She's on it. She's got positive energy. She never has a bad day. She's always there for you. Uh, willing to take on anything. We'll get her hands dirty. This is, this is just a, you know, she's, she's different. She's different. You just, you know, we're not going to replace her. We'll find someone that's good, but you know, Casey's, Casey's very unique. She's, uh, she's just someone that, uh, has got leadership written all over her. Uh, she's very aware. She doesn't overstep her boundaries. If she does, it's only because of her hustle. Uh, we talked about Pete Rose, but I, I look at Casey that way. I mean, my gosh, she's alert. She's just always on it. Clark is just one of the brighter guys I've ever run into in terms of coaching and asking questions. And he, he's just, he's just got such a, a fine balance of a lot of different things. Uh, the intelligence is in place, but he's not trying to outsmart you. He just, he's just aware. Uh, he's a hard worker. Everything's important to him. He's got great humanistic qualities. He's uh you know, from a male standpoint, he's a compassionate guy. I, I'm sure he's empathetic. Uh, but you, you hear, it, it's no surprise to me when the former Notre Dame defensive players talk about Clark in the way they do, because that's, that's how I know Clark. Clark's very intentional. Clark is going to be that uh, person that doesn't scream and yell a lot, but his words carry a lot of weight because he's well thought out. Um, He's not calculated, but yet he, he just he's smart enough to say the right things at the right time and 
when not to speak. Uh, so I, I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I have a lot of confidence in Clark. I have a lot of confidence because I think he'll surround himself with people that he, uh, he really trusts. And that's, that's a big deal. Tim, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to give you the floor to close the show, whether that is if it's advertising something that you want to advertise about your program, bringing up a topic that we didn't talk about, anything that you would like to end on as we close the podcast, uh, the time is yours to do that. Well, I appreciate that, Chris. And I, I think all I would ever say is I just appreciate the patience of the Vanderbilt community um, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, I know going through uh, the last year from a standpoint of watching sports and missing the last part of our baseball season and then the, the football season and, and basketball. And I just appreciate their patience. I appreciate their patience. And I think their patience is going to be served well. I, I've, I've got tremendous faith and confidence in, in Candace and I've, I've watched how decisions over there have been made from a farm, not in Candace's life all the time, but we spend a lot of time together uh, just talking sports and talking people. So uh, I just feel like what's ahead of us, not because I'm trying to build Vanderbilt up right now, but I just feel it. I just feel a, a difference. There's a different air right now in terms of what it looks like and um, I, I'm excited for the fans that they're going to be able to be exposed to that, but uh, hopefully we'll get them back in here as soon as possible. But I just appreciate their patience. I, I do. And when we open these gates, I just can't wait to see them all again. That is going to be a big thrill for us. Tim, thank you for your time. I'm looking forward to seeing you during baseball season. Okay, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity as well. You bet. He's Tim Corbin. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. <laughs>